If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21, and I'd like to read with you verses 9 through 20. Genesis 21, starting at verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew and lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Well, of course, the context here of this passage is that God had promised Abraham, or, or Abram at the time, that he would be the father of many nations, that his descendants would, would be as the stars or as the, the dust of the earth. But Abram and his wife Sarai, of course that was later changed to Sarah, they were elderly. So Sarai, she decides that she's going to help God out. She's going to help God along by giving Abraham her maid, Hagar. And as you know, Hagar conceives and gives birth to Ishmael. Now this was obviously not something that pleased the Lord, and Sarai's conscience is wounded when she sees that Hagar has conceived. And in Genesis 16, we see that Sarai treats Hagar so harshly that Hagar fled. But an angel of the Lord encourages Hagar and assures her that she will give birth to a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael is born when Abram is 86 years old. God later comes to Abram and tells him that he will establish an everlasting covenant with a son that will be born to Sarah, not Hagar. And, of course, Isaac is born to Abraham and to Sarah when Abraham is 100 years old. 
Ishmael is 14 when Isaac is born. And the text that we've just read here together indicates that Ishmael was jealous of this newborn Isaac. A feast had been given for Isaac at the time of his weaning. That's the context here. And Ishmael is jealous of this baby that had now usurped him, you know, as Abraham's heir. Ishmael is mocking Isaac. He's persecuting him, as Paul puts it in Galatians 4. Well, Sarah obviously had had enough, and she becomes angry, and she wants to send away Hagar and Ishmael. And you see here again this rift, this jealousy that existed between Sarah and Hagar. And I think it's a very clear example here in Scripture uh, that polygamy was never what God intended for his people. And there's other examples we can consider. But sticking to the text here before us, Abraham is distressed at Sarah's demands because he loves Ishmael. But it's an interesting turn of events because it seems that God is utilizing Sarah here to emphasize the fact that there must be a real distinction between Isaac and Ishmael, that it is only through Isaac that Abraham's descendants are named, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> when Abraham is tested by God to offer up Isaac, what, is, what does God say? Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and will greatly multiply your seed, your only son. But in other passages, Ishmael is clearly referred to as Abraham's son. In Genesis 17.23, it says that when Abraham took Ishmael his son. But this appears to be only a physical reference it, it, it is almost entirely inconsequential that Ishmael was Abraham's physical son when we speak of the promises of God, the spiritual nation that comes from Abraham. Isaac is the son of the promise. He is born to the free woman. He is the child of the promise. God establishes his everlasting covenant with Isaac. But Ishmael is the son of the bondwoman. And in the analogy of scripture that Paul records, or is recorded for us, uh, the words of Paul there in Galatians 4, Paul says that Ishmael is a product of the old covenant, of the Mosaic law. It was God's will that Hagar and Ishmael be cast away from Abraham and Sarah, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. We just read that in verse 12 of Genesis 21. So this separation between Isaac and Ishmael was crucial. So Hagar and Ishmael are given some food and water, and they're exiled into the wilderness. Well, what exactly do we have here? What, what are these two? This, this slave woman despised by her mistress, and a teenager who's been kicked out of his dad's house. Abraham was a very wealthy man, if you'll remember, but now all they have is some bread and some water, and they are wandering in this wilderness. They seem to be utterly forsaken by God and man. They're, they are lost. They're as good as dead. 
what hope do they have? They don't have anything. Well, why, why do we belabor this? Why do I you know, take you through this ancient story in this way? Well, because this is the same picture of the one who is without Jesus Christ. You who are outside of Jesus Christ today, this is you, rejected, lost, cast out, as good as dead. All you have with you is your own very limited resource, a very small strength, only a little bread and a little water, and the sun is beating down on you, and with each step in the wilderness that you take in this world, with each step you take, with each sip of your own limited resources, you're forced to come ever closer to the inevitable conclusion that you're not going to make it, that you can't do it, that you can't go on, that you're failing in the way that your strength is fading. It is not a question of if you fail when you're outside of Jesus Christ. It is the fact of when you are going to fail, you who are outside of Jesus Christ. Read there verse 15 again with me of Genesis 21. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Here we are forced to see a fundamental difference between the lost man and the Christian. And that is in the area of prayer. The lost person does not call upon God. His or her life is not a life that is marked by calling on God. It is not a life of prayer. God has looked down from heaven, Psalm 14 says, upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? A few weeks ago, we considered the fact that men, instead of calling on God, they call on idols. They pray to idols. Isaiah 44, but the rest of it he makes into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships it. He also prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. The lost man does not call upon God in the course of his life, but considered the Christian Psalm 88, I have cried out by day and in the night before you, I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Now, beloved, isn't this the story of your life? Since the day that you were converted, You've been calling on God, crying out to God, praying to God from morning to evening, calling on him, speaking to him, seeking him. And this is the pattern that we see in James 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. You're in pain. You're struggling. You pray to God. 
Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. And it goes on. Is anyone cheerful? You're happy. You're, you're joyful. He is to sing praises. You're crying out to God in praise. It goes on. He calls to the elders. The Christian calls to the elders when he's sick. He calls out to other Christians, not you know, for, for salvation, but he confesses his sins to other Christians. He calls to God on behalf of other Christians. The life of the Christian is a life of calling out to God. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 61. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. That is the impulse. That is the reflex of regeneration, right? Calling on God. Psalm 116. To you I shall offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. So the basic quality of the Christian, a thing that separates him or her from all other people, is that he is calling out to God. In fact, I would say that if your life is not characterized by this persistent calling on God, I think it's very doubtful that you're a Christian. Of course, those aren't my ideas. I think those are well supported in Scripture. Well, one question we could ask is, why don't men call on God? And the first thing we could consider is that men do not call on God because they don't see a need to call on God. But what we find here in, in this passage before us is that people start to pray when God brings them to an end of themselves. God is the one, you can't forget, that has ultimately allowed these events to transpire. Abraham didn't want to send away Hagar and Ishmael, but it had to happen. God says to Abraham, listen to Sarah, put them away. God had brought Hagar and Ishmael to the end of themselves in this, in this account. Only a short time ago, Ishmael was mocking God's chosen one, Isaac. And now what do we find? Ishmael, 14 years of age, he's cast under a bush, too weak to go on. Death is approaching. No water. It's the same with the lost man. He derides Christ. He berates the Son of God. He mocks him. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. How can this dying carpenter be the Son of God? What a ridiculous thing. Jesus declares that a dead girl is really not dead. She's only asleep. <clears throat> what do men do? They laugh at him. And what is the outcome of this scoffing, this unbelief, their, their pride? Mark 5.40 says, But being put out, Jesus took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the house where the child was. The scoffers, the unbelievers, are put out of the house. Ishmael sees the praise, the celebration over this little baby, who has done absolutely nothing except been weaned. How can this baby be greater than me? 
in my father's house. How can this mere infant be higher than me? How can he be the heir? Ishmael is full of himself. He's blinded by his pride. He's mocking the work of God. And what happens to mockers? What is the outcome? God puts them out of the house. They're cast off. Well, it seems a hard thing to consider that God casts a man away. But it may be the greatest act of mercy ever shown to a man. It may be the greatest act of mercy ever known to a man when God breaks a man and brings him to the end of himself. Because when God strips away pride and self-reliance, that is when a man starts to pray. That is when a man starts to call on God. So the reason men do not call on God is because they do not see their great need of God. It is because they're spiritually blinded by pride, by the lie of self-sufficiency. Well, another reason men do not call on God is because they do not, they do not believe God. They, instead, they believe any number of lies regarding the person of God himself. And one of these lies is that God does not care. Well, you know, they may say, fine, you know, I, I concede, I agree with you that the Christian is one who calls out on God, that it is a habit for the Christian in his life. That's, that's fine. That's, that's fine and well. But what good actually is there in praying? What does prayer actually do? You call out to God, but if he doesn't care for you, it's, it's useless. There was never so great a lie from Satan than the lie that God is not concerned about you. God is concerned. God is thinking of you. God is concerned about you, whoever you are. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done and your thoughts toward us. Psalm 40. The fact that God thinks about the human race is too great for the psalmist to even fathom. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you're concerned about him? It is a great mystery, but it is also a great truth that God actually cares about us that he is thinking of us, that he wants men to cry out to him, to turn to him. Seek the Lord while he may be found, is the call of Scripture. Well, God brings you to the end of yourself. He breaks your pride, your self-sufficiency, and you begin to see your need of him. By the grace of God, you recognize that God is concerned about you, that he wants you to call on him. But that does not prevent a second lie from coming in. The lie that God will not hear you when you pray. The lie that God will not hear you if you cry to him for help. That he will not hear you if you beg him to save you. Again, this is a very great It is a very great lie from Satan who loves 
to take something that is true and twist it into something that is very false. You see, it is true that there is a gulf that is infinitely wide and infinitely deep separating you from God. Because God is eternal. He is righteous. He is holy. He is not like anything men can see or dream. There is a great barrier between you and God. And that barrier is your sin. You can't come to God your way on your terms. You cannot come to God on your own merits. What does scripture say? But behold the I the, the sorry, but behold the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. The fault is not in God. Isaiah says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Try to come to God on your own merits. He's not going to hear a word of it. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he'll hide his face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. Micah 3, 4. Cry to God. He's not going to hear any of it. The text says, because of the fact of your sin. This is very true. But Satan would have you stop right there and believe only part of the truth of Scripture. And what do we call a half-truth? A lie. If Satan cannot convince you that there is no need to call on God or that God does not care about you, be assured he will try his best to convince you that if, in fact, you do cry out to God to save you, he will not hear you. Brethren, the day of salvation is the day in which God hears and God answers prayer. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. With faith in Jesus Christ and in his perfect finished work on the cross in repentance from dead works scripture begs us to come boldly to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need look back at Genesis 21 verse 17 God heard the lad crying And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad. I'll stop there. God heard the voice of the lad. What does Ishmael mean, that name? What does Ishmael mean? God hears. What? (laughs) Consider this. What, what, What do we have here? 
Ishmael is rejected. He is cast out. He is despised. He's the son of the bondwoman. He has nothing. He's in the wilderness. His, his mother is a bow shot away, which 200 yards, you know, I mean, a, a, a long distance away. And God hears him. God hears anyone who cries out to him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. God does care. God does hear your cry for help. Well, a man may believe God cares for him and believe that God hears prayer, but as expected, another lie enters in. And that is the lie, which is it's just as heinous as the others, the lie that you really need to do something before you call on God. That somehow you must try to make yourself better before you call out on God. Well, let's read verse 17 again, and this time I'll read the whole verse. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. God hears you where you are. God hears Ishmael where he is, weak, helpless, alone. Ask God for help. He's not going to turn you away. He's going to heal you. He's going to cleanse you of your sin. This is the whole truth of Scripture. Psalm 66, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I don't know how many times I've heard that verse quoted, but people never quote the whole verse. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. <laughs> Psalm 65, 2. O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for my transgressions, you forgive them. You see, the tension and the release, the mystery here, the weight of sin and the deliverance, all there together in those verses from Psalm 65 and 66. God cares about you. He's concerned about you. God hears you when you call for help in repentance and in faith in Jesus Christ. And the third thing, you do not need to do anything. You should not do anything but cry out to the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord, and you will soon see yet another lie dispelled. And that is the lie that God does not answer prayer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Isaiah 30 as for the days of old, they have not heard, or as from the days of old, they have not heard, 
or perceive by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. Isaiah 64. Look at verse 18 of the passage we considered in Genesis. Arise, the angel of the Lord says to Hagar, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew and lived in the wilderness and became an archer, and it goes on. God heard the voice of the lad where he was. He answered Ishmael and Hagar. He sends an angel to comfort Hagar. He tells her, don't be afraid. Go, go back to your son. Lift him up. Hold him by the hand. Hope isn't lost. It's not as things seem right now. Actually, in Genesis 17, God promised Abraham that he would bless Ishmael, that he would make him the father of 12 princes, that he would multiply him, that he would make him a great nation. And here in Genesis 21, the Lord assures Hagar of that as well. There is hope. There is a future. God does not answer you with slim pickings, you know. You don't get to the bottom of things and and find that it's all hollow and empty. God saves the very best for the last. God's answer to prayer is salvation. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. This is a this is this is a miracle. This is I think uh, the the power of regeneration we see here even in the Old Testament. Here they are about to die, hopeless. You, you, you can bet she's done her best to look around for sustenance before abandoning her son, if you will, let him to die on his own because as a mother it's just too painful of a consideration that she would see her son die. She can't bear it. They're at the end of it. They have exhausted all the little resources they have, and they cry out to God. God hears them in their emptiness and in their nothingness, and what is his response well, Hagar, don't worry, you know, don't be afraid. That's it? Yeah, that's all God told me, and then, you know, I died. That was it. God comes to you. He indicates to you that he cares, that he is real, that he sees, that he hears, and he answers you in a real way when you cry out to God for help. He opens her eyes, and... (laughs) God opened her eyes, and she saw a well, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God saved them. He gave them water, and that's exactly what happens at the time of conversion. God opens your eyes, and you see the well. You see the living water that is in Jesus Christ that floods into you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Psalm 145. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 18. It says that God was with the lad. Lies about calling on God. 
Do not be ignorant of Satan's schemes. The first lie, God doesn't care. The second, God doesn't hear. The third, I need to make myself better before I call on God. The fourth, God does not answer. No more excuses. We've, we've run out of lies. Just call on God. Cry out to him. Confess your sin to him. Repent. Look in faith to Jesus Christ, a great and merciful high priest, whoever lives and intercedes for you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous men his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God heard the lad crying. God heard the voice of the lad where he is. God has heard him where he is. Then God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. Amen.